Thanks for tuning in to Farmer Theologian, a podcast designed to help you build deeply rooted practical theology. Let's get to work. Well, all right, friends, Happy New Year, and thank you for tuning in to Farmer Theologian. I pray you're already having a great start to the new year, and I pray that this episode will be a blessing to you. I want to thank you again for tuning in. I also want to thank those of you who have uh, been giving feedback and encouragement on these episodes. Uh, it's a great blessing to me and really a great help in kind of sharpening uh, what we're doing here. So thank you so much. Today's topic, as you could tell, I'm sure by the title of the episode, is Sanctification. I picked this topic, uh, one, because it was suggested by a loyal listener. Shout out to Dalton. Love you, bro. Also, I do think it's a topic that is on people's mind a lot at the start of a new year. Uh, people are thinking about improvements they want to make, things, changes they want to make, things they want to do in the new year. And for a lot of Christians, uh, how they will grow, how they will grow in godliness is front of mind. I also think it's a, a subject of much uh, discussion and sometimes debate in the Christian community, if you will. And so I hope to bring uh, some clarity, maybe offer some clarity on some points that will help in some of those discussions. So to begin with, I want to talk about a couple of definitions and distinctions that I think will be helpful. And the fact, I think in most discussions these days, it's very, very important to define your terms and to define various ways you might be using your terms. I think a lot of online debates would not be so much debate if one, people were actually listening to one another or reading one another with charity, and two, if people were just simply defining their terms and clearly what they mean by them. So a couple of definitions and distinctions as we begin. What does it mean to be sanctified? When we talk about sanctification, what does it mean to be sanctified? Well, to put it really simply, it means to be set apart for a purpose. That's what the meaning of the word sanctified means. And when we're talking about this in terms of Christianity or believers, the idea is to be set apart for a purpose, specifically that purpose being for the glory of God, for God's glory, to be set apart for God's glory. Now, when theologians talk about sanctification or when Christians talk about sanctification, there's two ways that they could be talking about sanctification. The first is what we call positional sanctification. That is being set apart as Christ's possession, as his bride, set apart for a heavenly inheritance. And this is true of all who are in Christ. Every person who is a believer in Christ, has faith in Christ alone, is sanctified positionally. They are set apart as Christ's possession, as Christ's bride. They are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, as Ephesians 1 will tell us, for an eternal inheritance. And that, friends, is not going to change. It's true of all who are in Christ, and there is going to be no change in it. There's no growth in it. There's no diminishment in it. It is set. You are in Christ, therefore you are his possession, his bride, and you have an eternal inheritance. That does not change, and the reason it does not change is because of the completeness of God's work in salvation. And this really is a Trinitarian work. Our positional sanctification does not change because of the completeness of the Father's work in decreeing our salvation. It does not change because of the completeness of the Son's work in accomplishing our salvation through His death, burial, and resurrection. It does not change. Our positional sanctification does not change because of the completeness of the Holy Spirit's work in applying that salvation to us through his regenerating work and his sealing work. 
because the fullness of the Godhead, all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have completed their work in saving us, our positional sanctification is set. It is fixed. We are set apart as his possession, as the bride of Christ, as those with an eternal inheritance. That's positional sanctification. The other big way that Christians talk about sanctification, and I would say the main way that Christians talk about sanctification is what's called progressive sanctification. Most of the time, if people say the word sanctification, this is what they're talking about. Progressive sanctification. This is where Christians become progressively sanctified in our thoughts, affections, and actions as our present physical reality progressively reflects our spiritual reality in Christ. As we are in Christ, and as we tarry on this earth, in this flesh, we grow to look more like Christ. We grow to be more like Christ, to reflect that we are in Him. This is still a work of grace through faith. It's still God's work in us. In fact, Paul makes this emphatically clear as he rebukes the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I'll read that to you from the NAS 95, or as some call it, the non-Arminian Standard Bible. Again, it's Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul, through a series of rhetorical questions, really drops the hammer on the Galatians here, the foolish Galatians as he calls them, making the point to them that just as they were saved by faith, they are being perfected by faith. So we see that the Spirit is still at work in us. The one who regenerated us and who has sealed us for eternity, he is still at work in us, perfecting us. This is progressive sanctification. We also know that this is a work that God has graciously allowed us to participate in by faith. Yes, by faith. We are participants in sanctification by faith. And what do I mean by that? How do we participate in sanctification by faith? Well, we do that by trusting that this is the Spirit's work. As Galatians has just made clear to us, it is the Spirit's work. And so as we trust in the Spirit's work, we are by faith participating. We also participate by faith by trusting in or trusting that this pursuit is a work that He ordained for us to walk in as it says in Ephesians 2.10, I'll read that also from the non-Arminian Standard Bible. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We, by faith, trust that God is still at work in us and that the works that we do are his workmanship, works that he has ordained for us to walk in. Also, we participate in this by faith, by trusting in and walking in by faith, the means of grace that God has prescribed for us to grow in our sanctification. And this is the part that most people, I think, really need to understand as our participation by faith. God has in his word outlined means, a means by which we 
grow in our sanctification. And by faith, we trust in and submit ourselves to those means, and he works in us. So what are those means? Well, I'll just tell you right before we start that I'm taking most of this from something I've been taught uh, in person and through a book by Mike Riccardi. And I'll refer to that book at the end, so stay tuned for that. Uh, But it really is a great book on sanctification. And the case that is made there, and I think it's a biblical one, is that the means by which God has ordained that we would grow in sanctification is by beholding his glory. We see this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where it talks about how as we behold the glory of Christ, we are transformed. We become transformed into that image. That is progressive sanctification, friends. As we fix our minds on Christ, as we set our minds on things above where Christ is, as Colossians chapter 3 says, we behold his glory and we are transformed. We are transformed. The question then becomes, how do we behold his glory? And that's where scripture, again, gives us the means that we by faith participate in. And I'll outline for you these five. And again, this is just paraphrasing the teaching of Mike's book, which I'll give you the reference to at the end here. But how do we behold the glory of Christ? The first way we behold it is in his word. As we study his word, as we give ourselves over, devote ourselves, delight in the law of the Lord, as Psalm 1 says, as we study his word, we behold his glory. In fact, the best thing that you can do to improve your Bible study in the new year is you're probably still in your Bible reading plan is ask yourself the question with every single text that you read, what does this teach me about God? Before you ask, what should I do? Ask, what does this teach me about God? Set your mind on his glory in your scripture study. See his perfect goodness, his perfect righteousness, his perfect justice, and yes, his perfect commands and precepts for us. Behold his glory. Set your mind on his perfection, his glory as you study his word. The second area we see this along with in his word is in prayer and answered prayer. As we pray, just think about it, friends. What is prayer? Prayer is the God of the universe, the one who created and sustains and upholds all things, accepts and has a benevolent inclination towards hearing us pray to him. Friends, that should make you think glorious. What glorious God we have that he would even accept our prayer. And then, as if that weren't enough to behold his glory, as he answers our prayers, as we see his goodness to us in, in how he answers his prayers, our prayers, as we see his wisdom in how he answers our prayers. How many times have you had a prayer answered in a way that was different than you were thinking he was going to answer, but you had to say, wow. What a glorious God. That is not how I would have done it, but his plan is so much better, right? That is a way of beholding his glory. Third, along with his word and along with prayer is fellowship. As scripture tells us, we come together. We do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we come together to spur one another on to love and good deeds. As we do that, we behold his glory. And as we see God's work in others through our fellowship, we behold his glory. I'm sure you could think right now as you're listening to this, some brother or sister in your church that you've seen put off a sin or grow in their understanding of the Lord, or maybe a little person you've seen come up in your church and really get saved and begin to grasp the truths of the gospel and the truths of God's word. 
that those kind of things should make you see and recognize the glory of God that he is working through that fellowship, through that church to accomplish his purposes in saving people and sanctifying people. What a blessed way to see God's glory. This is in fact why it tells us not to forsake fellowshipping together. Why we come together and see one another face to face. Why Paul had a longing for the believers that he wrote to that he had not seen. He, he expresses a longing to see them face to face. Because as we fellowship together, we see God's glory as he works in our midst. Number four, in providence. And we see this in two ways, both in general providence as we behold his glory and how he sustains his creation. As I sit here and record this this evening, I am looking out the office of my window and I see a beautiful, beautiful sunset. In fact, if you haven't come to Central Texas, it's worth it just to see God's glory in the sunsets. It's a beautiful thing. That is him displaying his glory. That's just his finger paintings right there on display for us to see. He is upholding all these things. Soon the night will come and I will see stars like you can't see in the big cities because he is glorious. Those are things that cause us to behold his glory. But we also see this not only in his general providence, but in his specific providence, in how he provides for us, in how he cares for us, in how he meets our needs, in how he abundantly goes beyond that and blesses us with things we want and how he cares for others. We see specifically his providence for people. How many times have you thought, man, I don't know how we're going to get to the end of this month, or I don't know how we're going to get through this health scare, or I don't know how we're going to do these things. And then God shows up and you see his glory. Friends, beholding his glory in those ways causes us to grow more like him. And then the last way I would say, along with his word, prayer, fellowship, and providence, is in personal growth or in obedience. As we see God at work in us, we behold his glory because again, as we started, it is his work. We are his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. So friend, as you think about your life, think about before you were a Christian, the things that you used to do, the sins that you used to regularly commit that you no longer commit. That's because God in his glorious grace has worked in your life. Think about ways that since you were a young Christian, how you're understanding of God has grown. That's because he in his glorious grace has taught you those things. Think about how you've seen uh, your relationships grow as you learn to put off selfishness and put on preferring others. That's because God is at work in you, friend. That's because his glorious power is at work in you. Friends, these are all ways to see the glory of God. And as we behold his glory, we become more like him. And then we see his glory even more. And then it becomes more. And that leads to progressive sanctification. These are the means by which God has graciously allowed us by faith to participate in his work of sanctifying us. Friends, I hope this helps you. I hope this encourages you today. If you've liked anything of what I've said, especially these means of sanctification, let me encourage you to pick up the book that I mentioned earlier by Mike Riccardi. It's titled Sanctification with the subtitle, The Christian's Pursuit of God-Given Holiness. Again, that's Sanctification with the subtitle, The Christian's Pursuit of God-Given Holiness. It's by Michael Riccardi. Um, it's a great book. It actually started as a blog series on a blog called The Cripplegate. So if you don't want to buy the book, you can uh, probably research the articles. It's a series of articles on Cripplegate. Um, the content is there. 
um, you can look at it there. But let me encourage you, not only would it be worth it for you to pick up a book, you'll probably read it more than once. I've read this book several times. It's always an encouragement to me. Uh, but maybe pick up more than one copy and have it ready to give to someone who's struggling with understanding sanctification or maybe struggling to put off a uh, particular sin and just have it ready to give to them. I know it'll be a blessing to them. It'll be a blessing to you to then see God's glory and how he works through that in their lives. So again, the book is Sanctification by Michael Riccardi. I cannot recommend it enough. Well, friends, again, I pray this episode has been an encouragement to you, a blessing to you as you've thought on this topic. Uh, Thank you again for tuning in. I pray you continue to be lifted up and encouraged by these episodes as we all seek to build deeply rooted practical theology.